Yeah, thanks, John, for leading us since the service and vision for the songs. And I think most of the music team find very hard to choose songs for this uh, particular passage. I think I think we should think about at least twice huh, on some songs about what is good for this uh, songs, this passage because it is about the judgment, isn't it? So we are almost halfway through, halfway through our Luke series. And for those who are new to ARPC, you are new with us. We are actually working through Luke 19 all the way to the end of, chapter, of Luke, chapter 24, in our discipleship group and our preaching. So children or adults, so when I ring this, what does this remind you of? If you are missing church camp, you know this is church camp. Time to end your food, end your meals, and go for your sessions. For my BB boys and my GB girls, which I want to put a pitch in, do give to my BB uh, companies very generously. I, I, I put in my first one, so it's all yours now. For my BB boys and my GB girls, it's, church, it's BBGB camp, which we will also miss for the, this last year and this year, and I suspect next year as well. For the children, maybe the ringing of the bell, tells you the ice cream man is in your estate. Is that true? Do they still do that? I'm not sure. But when we see dark clouds gathering, lightning flashing, and thunder rolling, we know that we are ready to bring our clothes in, if you have clothes hanging outside, or if you are outdoors, to take shelter. Because why? Without a doubt, you know rain is coming. As Jesus moved towards Jerusalem and towards the cross, Jesus gave two shocking revelations. And these two revelations will confirm and double confirm, triple confirm that the coming of the end of times are near. So to understand the context of Luke chapter 21, we need to keep in mind the account of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. There's one. And secondly, Jesus clearing the temple in Luke. 20. So what are these two revelations that Jesus revealed to his disciples? They are the fall of Jerusalem and the fall, the destruction of the temple. And both destruction are inevitable. In Luke chapter 20, Jesus exposed the wickedness of the religious leaders. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders, and the Sadducees were supposed to be spiritual gatekeepers. They were to uphold truth, recognize the Messiah, and point people's attention towards him, just as John the Baptist did. But as religious leader, they are supposed to help the Jewish people and the Gentiles who come to know God to walk rightly and to act justly. But instead, we read how they trapped Jesus in Luke 20, and in the other parts of the gospel, you read how, he, how they confronted Jesus in every single way possible to turn him down, to discredit him. So the leaders has failed, has failed to be spiritual gatekeepers. So in Luke, 20, in Luke 21 verse 5, when the disciple commended on the beauty and the splendor of the temple, Jesus took the opportunity to reveal to them these two shocking destructions. 
the two destructions that will take place in the very near future, and this destruction will serve to usher in the judgment that will come, the final judgment that will come at the end of age. Recently, we got a text from one of our missionary Chelsea in north of uh, Japan, and the text say, "Earthquake! I feel the ground shaking. Pray for us." See, before a big earthquake happens, scientists has found out that they are usually accompanied by what they call four shots. Shots that come in a very smaller version, but leading up to a big one. Now, this research actually enables governments to save lives by studying them and evacuating people who are living in earthquake zones. But unfortunately, the current research are still not able to predict very clearly or accurately when and how the big one will come. They can only but guess. But good enough. Good enough for life to be safe. And the four shots serve as warning to the government, to the people, that the big one is coming. So similarly, the two judgments in Luke chapter 21 are like the four shots that will lead to the final judgment. But it's not only limited to these two, isn't it? Only God and God knows when our Lord Jesus will come again. Only God and God knows when and how our Lord Jesus will come. But God will continue, continue to warn us. And He warns us to turn our hearts back to Him. So the question we want to answer this morning as we look at this passage is this. What do we do while we witness all these warnings, these four shots, as we awake the final judgment, as we awake the final earthquake that will to come. So I want to draw to us, draw out three points for us. If you are, you've got your bulletin with you, you can follow them in the, guide, in the outline. Turn with me to Luke chapter 21, verse 5 to 19 for the first point. See, the whole discourse in Luke chapter 21 was sparked off by the disciples' comment on the grandeur of the temple in verse 5. So just how grand and how beautiful is this temple? So I have no, I'm no expert, so I go to the experts. And I guess one of the key, has, key experts is this historian by the name Josephus. So he says the Herod's temple, which is the latest temple in Jesus' time, was covered all sides with massive plates of gold. And when the sun shines on it, it will radiate and it compels anybody who look at it to look away. And to the approaching strangers, this temple, as they look from afar, as they look up to the mountain, they will see like a snow-clad mountain. Because all that they lay, overlay on the, on the side of the temple were pure gold, dazzling pure gold. So we take a look at the picture, not the best, I think, but this is what the artist tried to, or the historian tried to put together. But the next one, somebody actually did a model. So this is just a small model of how the temple will look like. Uh, it, it, I think it pales in comparison to the actual thing itself. And the stones, the stones, if you've been to Jerusalem, you've been to the, the holy, um, what they call holy Trevor. 
what do you call it? What do you call that? Holy Trevor. Yeah, it's okay. Anyway, if you go there, you'll go to the crying wall and you'll see that a stone is about nine meters long, five meters in height, and six meters in breadth. If the stone in that picture doesn't give you the idea, think of a container. You think of the container? There is a size, likely, of a stone. If the temple is still around today, it will certainly be a tourist attraction. Much like the White House, where everybody wants to go and see Buckingham Palace, or even Taj Mahal. But besides grandeur, the temple played a very important role in the life of every single Jew. It's the ultimate religious symbol for the Jewish people. See, in the Old Testament, God's presence dwells in the temple. And the people went to the temple, and that's the only place that they can go to, to offer sacrifices to God, to atone for their sin, to offer up sin and guilt offering, so that they can be right with God again. Now as the people live under the Roman rule, the temple is the only glimpse of hope for the promised Messiah to restore Israel back to her former glory. And the temple in Jerusalem is the only place throughout the whole Roman Empire that every Jew can go to to offer up sacrifices to atone for their sin. They are still practicing the sacrificial system that God has laid out for them in the Old Testament. That's why you see about Jesus, when Jesus cleared the temple, there were people selling unblemished animals to the pilgrims. Can you imagine dragging a goat 100 kilometers by the time the sheep reach the temple, they are no longer unblemished. So they sell sheep, unblemished sheep on site so that you can make your sacrifice. But let us read Jesus' response to his disciples' comment in verse 20, in verse 6. I think there's a slide, I think, is there? No? Okay. As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will, be, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Pause for a while and think, if you are a Jewish leader hearing these words, these words will be like an earthquake to you. You will send shockwaves among the Jewish leaders and the wider Jewish community. Can you imagine, you tell Aussie, no more sports for the whole country. You'll be like, what? Or you tell Singaporean, no more travel. Just seems to be quite calm with that. It's all right. Can you imagine the shock to thousands of pilgrims if one day they reach Ganges River in India and it's all dry up? To the religious leader, this would seem to be the main earthquake. How dare Jesus make such a claim or make such a prophecy? If Jesus indeed is a long-awaited Messiah, he will not prophesy about the destruction of the temple. In fact, he will prophesy about the, the prospering of the temple. But they have forgotten. They have forgotten how God has judged Israel because of their sin. However, Jesus was very quick to add in verse 8 
that the destruction will not be the end of age. It will just be one of those four shots that will come in the midst of many. The main earthquake has yet to come. As the disciples and those around took in all this and made sense of this news, Jesus turned his gaze to his disciples and those who claimed to believe in him and deliver another shocking news. This news is only for them and for those who believe. And Jesus says, before the fulfillment of the destructions, those who believe in me will suffer persecution under the religious leaders and under the Romans ruler. And that's what Luke chapter 21, verse 12 to 15 is about. That before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Then you go on to verse 17 or verse 16. You'll be delivered by even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. I try to picture this in my shoes as the disciples. How will I make sense of this warning by my master? My master, who has all along been claiming that he is the Christ. If he is truly the Christ, the Messiah, shouldn't be, you will rule over kings and governors in my name. And you will be honoured for my name's sake. But that's not true. Twice Jesus told them that they will face persecution because they believe in Jesus. Verse 12 and verse 17. Jesus warned them that they will be put in prison. They will be hated. They will be betrayed just because they believe in Jesus. But they should not be surprised in it. They have walked enough with Jesus to know and to see how the religious leaders continued to oppose Jesus and even plotted to kill him. But see, in the, in the mind of the disciples, they may be a bit further ahead in terms of understanding from the rest of the Jewish community, but they are still holding on to their glimpse and their hope that this is the warrior Messiah. They don't anticipate Arrest? Definitely not dying on the cross. So when Jesus was arrested, what happened to the disciples? They fled. They abandoned Jesus. Abandoned Jesus. Persecution is now a reality to them because they continue to follow. If they continue to follow Jesus. Why do you think Peter denied Jesus three times? Because he feared persecution. The book of Acts detailed the flogging, the imprisonment, the accusation, the crucifixion of disciples. All the things that they experienced when they proclaimed the good news 
and make disciples of all nations. One key character in the book of Acts is this person by the name Saul. Saul, the persecutor of the church. But by God's grace, he was transformed, renamed Paul, and now he became what? The persecuted one. He suffered much for Christ. And therefore, he wrote these words to young Timothy, a young pastor, in 2 Timothy 3.12, and says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hey, that's you and me. Do you desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus? If your answer is yes, then this verse meant as much to Timothy, to Paul, and to you and I. While evil people and imposer will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. What does that mean for you and I? See, Jesus did not warn the disciples, Jesus did not warn us of persecution to discourage us, to cause us to be in despair. Jesus warned us of persecution. Jesus revealed to the disciples that they will be persecuted so that, interestingly, in verse 13, that there will be opportunity to bear witness. Verse 13 reads, This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it in your heart, in your mind, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I, the Lord Jesus, will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of ever adversary will be able to withstand or contradict. Strange, isn't it? Persecution, persecuted, yet bearing weakness, yet opportunity to do something wonderful. To who? To those people who are persecuting you. This is very strange. And this is very hard. But this is as easy as what Jesus is telling the disciples. And we read in the book of Acts, thousands upon thousands, the Lord added them to the church. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1 and verse 4, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. In verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. We witness this happening in our own times as well. We read about how the churches in China continue to bear witness for Christ and they continue to gather on Sunday services in parks or uh, slides when their church premises were forcefully closed. In Luke chapter 21, verse 14 to 15, Jesus assured his disciples. And the same assurance holds for the Christian in China, holds for the Christian in persecuted countries, holds for Christians all over the world that he will give us the wisdom, the words to respond to those who will persecute us. You believe that? Jesus promised to watch over us when we face persecution. But more specifically in the context in Leo, to watch over them 
as they will face persecution. Because Jesus says, not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain lives. Jesus' disciples then, and all who believe, must and cling on to these words of Jesus and to know that our Lord Jesus is with us. My dear friends, if you sit here today, I believe all of you are believers. If you sit here today, I believe you all what can amen, can say amen to what Paul says in the first part of 2 Timothy 3. That we want to live godly life for Christ. If you embrace the first part of that verse, then you must surely embrace the second part of that verse. That we will be persecuted. What persecutions are we facing for the sake of Jesus' name? How are we standing firm? Someone from SMBC, working in a Southeast Asia country, was invited to preach in a church. And this church is in a village that is very hostile to Christianity. And just prior to him going, the church has just repaired its building because there was an attempt to burn it down. So he says he was lost trying to find that church. So he don't dare to stop and ask, can you tell me how to go to the church that you, brought, you, you burned down last week? What do you think the reaction would be? So he just keep driving, driving. Finally, he found the church. Each time when that happens, when, the, when there's an attempt to destroy the church, to break down the church building, the church continues to gather continue to meet. Can you imagine us meeting in the situation? I already asked you to come Bishan, very difficult already. Sign up for church service, very difficult. I'd rather watch stream at home. But for these people, these brothers and sisters in Christ, they gather, they meet to bear witness to Jesus. In Singapore, not many people oppose us. But maybe when we try to hold up and live out God's truth in our home, our work, our school, our public places, you will get, you're going to get comments, you're going to get remarks from people. Some nasty ones, some more gentle. Although COVID is not a gospel-related persecution, but nevertheless, the restriction makes us feel persecuted. If you're persecuted by this small virus, by our government who say must wear masks, cannot do this, cannot do that. But my question to you is, if this is a dry run, a practice run, for when we are persecuted, how are we holding up? How are we taking every opportunity to share the good news? How are we taking every opportunity to hold out this hope that we have in Christ Jesus. How are we turning a struggling brother and sisters in Christ who is weighed down by this whole pandemic? How do we turn them, turn their gaze to Christ? Take this as a practice run for us. It's not about if persecution comes. I have to remind myself daily is when persecution comes. So we stand firm. 
We stand firm in the midst of persecution. We stand firm with the redeeming hope that we have in Christ. And that is in Luke 21, 20, 31. See, the next shocking prophecy that Jesus gave was the destruction of, the, of Jerusalem. Jerusalem takes center stage for all the Jews. It's the only place, the only location left with any distinct Jewish identity. Jerusalem is where the temple resides. And if the de destruction of the temple is 7.5 magnitude in the earthquake scale, then the destruction put both the temple and to Jerusalem will be the end of the world for the Jews. Jesus described in great details the desolation that will come upon Jerusalem. And you don't want to be there. If you just read the description, you do not want to be in Jerusalem. And so the historian Josephus recorded that all the Jews within the city were killed. But the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem is not the end. Jesus actually prophesied about the destruction of the temple around AD 30, around AD 33, depending on scholarship. About 40 years later, 37 to 40 years later, in AD 70 to AD 135, Rome moved in to crush an uprising by zealot Jews. And that including demolishing the temple and in its place, built a shrine. Rome renamed Jerusalem after it flattened it in the attempt to wipe off any Jewish influence. Those who remembered and those who heed Jesus' words fled to the mountains, and those who were outside remained outside the city. And Josephus says, these were the folks that survived the siege, those who obeyed Jesus. They are the ones who survived the siege. The fulfillment of Jesus' words 40 years later seek to authenticate Jesus' prophecy and give assurance to those who obey his words that there is hope because my Lord Jesus promised hope. But that's not the end. Now Jesus tells them the end. This is how the end looked like. Verse 25, And there will be signs in sun and moons and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the rolling of the sea and the wave. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the earth. The powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The coming of the Son of Man will be seen globally. The signs upon the moon and the sun will be global phenomenon. No matter where you are, you look up to the sky, you see the same sun, you see the same moon. Therefore, you will see the same sign. No one will miss this sign, the sign of the second return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when that happens, just as Scripture says, our Lord Jesus will come in great power and splendid glory, more glorious than the temple itself. We believe this. 
And therefore Jesus gave the parable of the fig tree. You can turn to it in Luke chapter 21, verse 29 to 31. Or you can see it in the screen there. So when the Son of Man comes, no one, no one can misread the global sign of Jesus' return. It is, will be as clear as when you see new leaves on trees. You know that summer is already here. I guess this will click with people living in places with four seasons, or if you've been, in, you've been living in places with four seasons, you may say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I see that, I see that. But it belongs to many of us in Singapore. Well, when I see new leaf in my plant, oh, I'm a COVID, COVID, I'm a circuit breaker gardener. So when I see new leaf on my plants, I'm very happy. It means I'm doing the thing, I'm doing the right thing. My plant is alive and it's not dead. But maybe for us, a clearer example, maybe when we see dark clouds, when we see flashing lightning, then we hear rolling thunders, we know rain is coming. The consequence of the coming of the Son of Man have a much greater, deeper impact globally. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Because why? Because Jerusalem and the temple no longer function as God has intended it to be. The temple has become a marketplace, a den of robbers instead of a house of prayer. The people of Jerusalem are no longer living lives as witnesses for God. They are no longer attracting people to turn to God. Instead, they are so uptight about observing this law, that law, that is not even in the law to start off with. They have become a city practicing empty religiosity. Instead of worshipping God, they have been led astray to reject God himself who dwell not in temper, who dwell right in their midst. Have you ever, got, ever, ever wondered that? Jesus, God, walking, not in the temple, not living in the temple, but walking the street of Jerusalem, rubbing shoulder with shoulder with the folks on the ground. The coming of the Son of Man will be the final judgment to all those who reject Jesus. The destruction of the temple, the destruction of, the, of the Jerusalem is a judgment to the Jew who rejected God. But the coming of a son of man will be the final judgment for all who reject Jesus. But however, for those who believe in Jesus, in verse 20, it says, when this thing began to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. What imagery does the end of the world conjure up in your mind? Well, you follow Hollywood, you follow all the other articles. Generally, the end of time portrayed as something to be feared. Doomsday. The end of time, usually not welcomed. So we use terms like doomsday. Therefore, the doomsday cult. And people will gather to wait out the end of time. Or doomsday preparers who build shelters and stock up food, like COVID, huh? but it's not. But in God's word, 
we see hope in the midst of destruction. And only in God's word. Only in God's word. We know that there will be judgment. We know there will be destruction. And we know that because the Bible tells us that it's because of our sin. We deserve that. Yes, the end time will look scary. And you're going to feel like doom. But our Lord Jesus is the only one who promised redemption. Redemption to every single one who turned our hearts back to God. We can be assured that the coming of the Son of Man will bring full redemption to believers. And that's what we long for. The good news is this gift of redemption given to everyone. What do you and I do about this good news? We bury it, then return to the Lord. Now, nah, this is your good news. Thank you very much. Or what do we do? We multiply it, isn't it? That was a parable earlier. We multiply it. We put it to work. We proclaim it so that many more can come to know Jesus. So Luke 21, 32, 33, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Who was Jesus referring to when he said, this generation will not pass away? I'm sure that's a question that you'll be asking your DG leaders. I hope they can answer that. For the context, for the Greek dictionary that I read, this generation may be expressed as the people living here and now. The people of this time. They will mean collectively the whole of humanity living here on earth till Jesus comes again. And this fits the context, doesn't it? Because when Jesus comes, the end of the world will also mean the end of the, this heaven, this earth, and Jerusalem. And Jesus promised in Revelation chapter 21 that he will usher in a new heaven and new earth. So may you read it together with me, behind your mask. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the daring place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and the death shall be no more. Neither shall there be born mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things has passed away. What is Revelation 21 tells us? Jesus will indeed come back at the appointed time. Just like his first coming. It was not random time, but the right time. When he returns, he will also return at this appointed time that God has so ordained. And when he returns, he will establish a new heaven and a new earth for us to dwell with him forever. Do we wake up each day longing, come Lord Jesus, come? So a few weeks ago in staff meeting, I was sharing about the Boys and Girls Brigade Ministry. I said, I long for my, kick, my sidekick, Daniel Lim, to come back. And Pastor Chris asked me, do you long for Daniel Lim to come back more than you long for Jesus to come back? 
I say, of course I long for Jesus to come back. But when Jesus come back, I don't even do all this work anymore. We bear witness for Christ and we stand firm, fixing our eyes on the redemption hope found only in Christ and Christ alone. So how should we end? Jesus ended his warning, prophecy, by calling his disciples to four things. Be watchful, stay awake, to stand, and to, to pray and to stand. And all these can be found in verses 34 to 36. We just flash it out and leave it there. What are we to watch out for? We are to watch that our hearts are not weighed down by dissipation. And what is dissipation? It's to be completely without any moral restraint. We are to be watchful that we do not live our life like a drunkard. And I think the two go hand in hand. Have you ever seen a drunk before? Some of you may experience the blunt of a drunkard. Someone who is drunk, intoxicated, loses all sense of right and wrong. This person behaves in a way that is void of any logic. And Jesus tells us that we must not behave like a drunkard. A drunkard is always associated with what? Unrowdy behaviors. Have you ever come across a drunkard that's coherent, graceful, loving, and makes sensible and wise decisions? I have not. I'm not sure about you. And Jesus says, do not live. Be watchful and not live your life without any moral restraint. Do not live your life like a drunkard. Jesus is calling us to be watchful. Watching what? Our thoughts, our words, and definitely our deeds. We are not to live our life like a drunk. We live our life for Christ, in Christ, and live upon His words. So we are to be watchful and not to be weighed down by the cares of the world. In the NIV, it's translated as anxiety of our life. So now, a test. One of our memory verse in our back to basic study is from Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It's not going to be up there in the screen, not like children church where I'll show you, no. Let's recite it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present them your requests to God. Anxiety is a form of pride. I heard a good podcast by John Piper, and he says, pride is unbelieving God, and therefore, anxiety is our way of saying we don't believe that God can help us. But having said this, I'm mindful that some of us, some among us, are suffering from depression, and they can't help but be overwhelmed by anxiety. But to everybody who listened to this, there is hope because we have Christ and God called us to cast all our cares, all our anxious thoughts to Him and Him alone. 
because he is more than powerful to help. And admitting our helplessness and our total dependence upon God will bring us to God every moment of our life. And when we admit our helplessness, we become watchful. We stay awake and we stay alert to the things that will trip us over. We will definitely feel vulnerable. And when that happens, we tread carefully. We carefully check out every step that we take. But do you know that we are always in that position, aren't we? Because things before us is always uncertain. It's only when we admit that we are in that position, then we will be watchful, we will stay awake, and most importantly, we will pray for help. Praying is us asking God for help. And someone says, I remember this since my young days as a Christian, our help is only fill in the blanks, a prayer away. Pray that you and I might have the strength to escape all this persecution. They will come upon us who believe in Jesus, but more so in the context of Luke for the disciples then and then. See, without casting our needs and our cares onto Jesus, we are just like grasping thin air. So if I fall now, I will fall. Because the thin air is not going to hold me because I'm quite heavy. But only grasping firmly upon Jesus and his words that we will find help in the midst of persecution, we will find help in the midst of anxiety of our life as we wait for the final return of our Lord. So what do we do, brothers and sisters in Christ, as we wait? We grasp firmly upon our Lord Jesus Christ. Good Friday and Easter, about three weeks away, Jesus' death on the cross on Good Friday was God's divine appointed time to do what? To break the power of sin to bring us forgiveness. On the cross, Jesus set us free to reconcile with God. Easter is God's victory over death. Easter tells us that we will not need to wait in vain, but in hope that our Lord Jesus will definitely return again. And we will see Him, and together with Him, we will experience the full glory and the full redemption that we so long for. So as we end, let us spur one another to be watchful, stay alert, praying for ourselves and one another, standing together as we awake the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you are in full control of the future. Thank you, God, that, you, that Jesus has secured our future for us. And we thank you that we can look forward to a complete redemption and not judgment. Help us, O oh God, to stand firm in our faith joyfully till we see you face to face again. Amen.